every day that you assemble together to worship the Lord on His day, the first day of the week, is a good day. Some of them, however, in our views tend to stand out and have great meaning to us. This day has been a wonderful day, a great day to see a young lady put on the Lord in baptism. Uh, That's something that I have loved seeing all my life, and it doesn't ever diminish to see a new brother, a new sister in Christ, and to see the potential and the future for those young people as they begin to serve the Lord. And for us to assemble together and have such a good gathering this morning, even at Bible class, and then for you to be back tonight, and for us to continue in our study of God's Word. There's some portions of God's Word that just have some real great meaning to us and some great lessons within it. And the passage that Brother Kurt read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 3 certainly does have within it some great and powerful lessons. And he's going to use an illustration from the Old Testament. And I want you to turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Exodus. We're going to pick up with verse 34, or chapter 34, verse 29 through verse 35. Wonderful passage of Scripture describing Moses coming down from the mountain. God had spoken with him face to face. He is a man now who has God's message to deliver. Moses writes, Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, And the two tablets of testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain. That Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. And afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them the commandments, all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking to them, with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, He would take the veil off until he came out and he would come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put a veil on his face again until he went to speak with him. You know, you think about that event. You think about Moses not even knowing what was happening as he spoke with God and how the radiance of God began to express itself on his face. In fact, to such a degree that they couldn't even look steadily as Paul would describe it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. They couldn't look straight at it because of the brilliance and the the brightness of that shining of his face. That was God's way of allowing the children of Israel to know that Moses had been talking with God. It was a sign of his authority. However, you have to remember that Moses didn't want the children of Israel to see that 
shining go away. And so what he would do after he spoke with the people, he'd put a veil on his face. And slowly that brightness, that shining of his face would diminish until it went completely away. And Moses will take that illustration and he will say that even to this day there are some who have a veil upon their heart. Something that prevents them to see that passing away, that diminishing of that Old Testament law. But he goes on to use this illustration. He goes into chapter 4 and you look at verses 3 and 4. He says, but if our gospel is veiled... It is veiled to those who are perishing, whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine upon them. What he's saying is, is there are some people who have veils over their heart and it prevents them from seeing the truth. Are there those veils today? Are there people today whose eyes are blinded? They can't see things properly? I would say there are. In fact, tonight what we want to do, we want to look at three of them. We want to look at three things that could be in our own lives. We want to look at prejudice. We want to look at pride. And we want to look at how people can prevent us from seeing the truth. Let's begin, first of all, with the idea of prejudice. And it means, according to the dictionary, a preconceived preference or idea of bias. Actually, it means pre-judging. We've often heard you don't judge a book by its cover. You look in the cover of a book, is real colorful, and maybe it looks, from many of us, thin. We say, oh, that's going to be a good book. On the other hand, you see a book that may have a, a dingy gray cover and it may be real thick and you look at it and you say, well, that's not going to be an interesting book. You don't prejudge and you don't prejudge people either. You know, as you start looking, people prejudge or have a prejudice against various things and against the truth for various reasons. For instance... Many people are taught to be prejudiced. I know that many of my generation, when we were raised by our parents, many of them did possess a prejudice against people of a different color skin. They would look at some of them and they would somehow have this prejudice as if they were not as worthy, not as valuable as others. However, when you raise a generation of children who've not been taught that, they begin to see others as their fellow man. Or some develop prejudice because of their interaction. They may interact with a person of this uh, nationality. They may interact with someone of a certain kind of background. And they then judge everyone that way. When I go to the Bible, I can see examples of it. For instance, with regards to race, not necessarily black or white, but when you get to the Bible, you have Jew and Gentile and Samaritan, and there was a lot of judging, prejudiced toward those. For instance, in John chapter 4, Jesus 
while the disciples have gone into the city to buy food, they stop at Jacob's well. And there are women who have arrived there at the well and they're going to draw water. There's a woman to whom Jesus approaches and says, please give me a drink. And in John chapter 4 and verse 9, the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. You know, it's the kind where people of a different race than you, you won't even talk to them. You, won't, you just ignore them. Or if you go to Acts chapter 11, look at verses 2 and 3. Peter has come back and he's rehearsed with them the conversion of Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile. And it says when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him and saying, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. What do you mean, Peter? There's a prejudice that exists. There are people who have prejudice with regards to nationalities. You know, I... I hate to say that sometimes we're guilty of that. Rather than wishing and desiring that all men should hear the truth, we look at some nationalities and say, I wish God would just wipe those people off the face of the earth. Jonah wanted that. God sent him to Nineveh, to the Assyrians, and to try to persuade them to repent. Jonah preached God's message when you get to the end of Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he said that he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But Jonah was exceedingly displeased exceedingly, and he became angry. He was upset. God forgave them when he wanted them destroyed. But I suggest to you in the Bible, you can see people also who had a certain amount of prejudice with regards to people, with regards to their educational attainment. When I get to the book of Acts, and you find the apostles who are in the city of Jerusalem, and they're speaking with other tongues as the Holy Spirit had given them that ability to do, there are people who are looking at that and they're amazed. They're astounded. Not necessarily because they can speak a different language, but Acts 2 verse 7, then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? You know why? They thought the people from Galilee were a bunch of ignorant simpletons. They looked at them and they looked down on them as uneducated you get to chapter 4, verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized they'd been with Jesus. These people hadn't been to the schools of the rabbis, and yet they knew the book, they knew the law, they realized that they had been trained by Jesus. I think in John chapter 7, as Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles and there are people there and the Pharisees want to take him. And in fact, they send the officers to take him and they 
come back and they said, why didn't you bring him? They said, well, no man ever spoke like this man. And their response was, have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? If you were as smart as us, you would never have accepted what this man is saying. You see, the truth is, God's not partial. God doesn't care the color of a man's skin. He doesn't care what country in which he was born. He doesn't care what kind of educational attainment that a person has gotten, whether it's both in a formal sense or even in a common sense. God looks at a man and sees his potential and sees him as a person. And that's the reason why Peter would say in Acts 10 and verse 34 and 35, and Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted with him. But now when I go back to that context in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is talking about the Jews and their understanding of that Old Testament law being done away with. And some of them were so prejudiced that they could not see any situation where the Old Testament was not going to be binding. They couldn't see the end of it. Paul himself had once been among that number. When you go to the Galatians 1, verses 13 and 14, he's describing to those people in central Turkey. He says, For you have heard my former conduct in Judaism, how I tried to persecute the church, or how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the tradition of my fathers. I'm going to hold on to it. And in Matthew 13, verses 13 through 15. Jesus spoke parables. And if you look at what he is saying, he's talking about people whose hearts become blinded. He says, Isaiah spoke well of you people, in the middle of verse 14, hearing you will hear and not understand, seeing you will see and not perceive. The heart of this people has grown dull, their ears of hard of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts. And so turn so I should heal them. You see the prejudice there. Prejudice will cause a person to not hear the word of God because they're prejudiced against the messenger. I can't tell you how many times that I have been speaking with someone and then all of a sudden someone will say, well, you preach for the churches of Christ, don't you? Oh, I don't want to listen to you. I don't want to hear you. The prejudice is already there. And if I were asked for a show of hands, and I'm not, how many of you have encountered people who were prejudiced against the Lord's church? I'm sure just about every hand in here could go up. Prejudice will keep one from obeying God. A person who just can't turn loose of those preconceived, prejudged ideas Prejudice will prevent one from preaching the gospel to the whole world. And for that reason, many sectarians hold on to their prejudices. For instance, faith only, refusing to be baptized, holding on to their denominational names 
and creeds and even secularists, atheists, blindly hold to biological evolution where they believe that man has to evolve from some sort of primordial soup. You see, prejudice can blind people from the truth. Now let me move quickly and talk about pride. You see, prejudice is the way that I view you. I'm already prejudiced against you and what you teach. Pride, on the other hand, is myself. Where I think more highly of who I am than I ought to think. Oh, you could really go through a number of passages. Romans 12, 3 says, For a man not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. Or Galatians 6 and verse 3, If anyone among you thinks himself to be something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But here's where pride comes in. It is a veil that prevents me from seeing myself as who I really am. From seeing my own vulnerability. For instance, Proverbs 16, 18, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Hey, I can't ever fall. I can't ever make a mistake. Or the classic passage, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. If I can't ever see my own vulnerability and I've got a veil over my face because of that, over my heart, then I'm missing something. Pride causes me to not see my own faults, but see other people's faults. In other words, I've got to divert my attention from dealing with what I have a problem with to dealing with your problems. Oh, how many times can you see that? Luke 18 the Pharisee and the tax collector. What does the tax collector do, or the Pharisee do? He looks at the tax collector and he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. That's what a Pharisee would do is concentrate on everyone else's failures. Matthew 7, verses 1 and following, talks about a person who beholds his brother and he sees in his eye a speck of sawdust, a moat. But then he says, let me help you get that speck out of your eye. And he says, behold, there's a beam in your own eye. He calls him a hypocrite. In Romans chapter 11, verse 17 through 21, Paul looks at the Gentiles and It's been, as we will see on Wednesday night as we study the book of Romans, a seesaw in that book. He'll talk about the Gentiles, he'll talk about the Jews. Then he'll talk about the Jews, and he'll talk about the Gentiles. And he keeps drawing the point that all of them have sinned, all of them need God's forgiveness. You get to chapter 11, and he looks at the Jews and their departure from God's plan and he talks about how God broke them off like a, you've got a tree here and God's breaking the branches off. And he says in verse 17, And if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them and with them became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, the root supports you. 
You will say branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said, but because of unbelief they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Don't ever get to the point where you look and say, I don't see my faults. I don't see my failures. First John 1, verse 8. We have say we have no sin. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Pride causes me not to see myself. But now I want to look at this third aspect. And that's people. And many times people can become a veil that prevents us from seeing the truth. It's almost like they stand in the way and they're trying to prevent us from seeing what we would see otherwise. Sometimes those friends are immoral and ungodly people and they'll say anything to try to get you to go along with them. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. You know, I've talked to some young people and they're the kind who's fallen away and you try to talk to them, try to get them to come back to church. Oh, no, no, I, I can't do that. My friends, we're going to do... Th- Your friends who want to keep you away from church are trying to prevent you from seeing the truth. They're a hindrance. They're a veil. I go back to chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. He says, whose mind the God of this age has blinded. You see, there, there's a world out here that wants you to get your life so full that you don't have time to read your Bible. You don't have time to go to the Bible classes to enrich yourself spiritually. If you can just keep a person ignorant, unknowing of God's will... And yes, it does happen in churches. When Paul was writing the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he's talked about the man of sin and he comes down to verse 9 and he says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Oh yeah, the devil's out there. And he can be very persuasive. But you know, as you start looking around at those people who might have that kind of influence on you, I just think about some groups, for instance, family. Family. How sad it is that here's a young man or a young woman and they've attended services of the church. They've sat in a Bible class. And they have learned what the Bible has to say. And then they go home and they say to mama and daddy or maybe even brother or sister, you know, I've been to church and I've been learning that a person needs to 
repent of their sins and be baptized. Oh, hold on. You're surely not going to go down there to those people. And they start trying to destroy the influence. And then you say, well, maybe I ought to back up. And people can become that hindrance. What about our friends? Who are our friends? Are our friends the ones that really want the best for us? Or they want something from us? If anyone is your friend or calls himself your friend and they don't want you to be faithful to God, they're not your real friend. What about a favorite teacher? I'm going to tell you one of the saddest things is for some of us who've gone through school and trained to be preachers, several of us sat in the same classes, taught by the same teachers, and then what happens? One of your teachers goes astray. That has happened to me. And what you see is rather than some people holding on to the truth, they follow that favorite teacher into that error. And you, you wonder why. It's because they were devoted to a person rather than to the Lord. In Matthew 15, verse 14, Jesus said, let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall in the ditch. So what does that do? That leads us to the full perspective. How can one remove the veil of blindness? Reading 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and chapter 4, how is it that I can get that veil off so that I can see the truth? Well, the answer is provided in verse 16. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. You see, you turn and you look at the Lord and you concentrate on Him and the way He is revealed in His Word. And I like the way Paul follows it up. But we all, with an unveiled face, beholding the image of the Lord as in a mirror, are being transformed to the same image it's almost like you and I focus on Him and we say, okay, just like a mirror is reflecting that back, I see in Jesus the kind of person He is. I ought to be that in myself. And I am beginning to shape and transform my life to look like His. You turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So the question is, why not turn to the Lord right now? Why not remove all those veils that blind you from the truth? Now, we just looked at three. There are many, many others that could be discussed. But tonight, why not commit your life to the Lord? Be baptized for the remission of your sins. Let Him add you to His body, the church. Why not? If you are a child of God walking away from the Lord and you see where you've been, Come back home. Why do we stand and sing?